Welcome back to Parkside Green's Bible Study. History has known its share of polarizing figures, right? In religion, the Prophet Muhammad. In world politics, Mao Zedong. In American politics, Donald Trump. In entertainment, Michael Jackson and Ellen DeGeneres. In the NBA, Kobe Bryant and LeBron James. The lists could go on and on, right? But perhaps the broadest spectrum is found in people's responses to Jesus Christ. Luke has shown us that Jesus is God's beloved son. He's empowered by the Spirit. He's a, he's a human with a long lineage stretching back to Adam, and he is a sinless Savior who defeated the devil. Well, once we know who Jesus is, the key question for every single person is how we will respond to him. And in this week's passage, Luke 4, 14 to 44, it's going to reveal a wide variety of ways to respond to Jesus. Four headings will help us, guide us through the scripture. First, we'll see people's praise, verses 14 to 22. Secondly, we'll see a plunging popularity in verses 23 to 30. Thirdly, amazing authority, verses 31 to 41. And fourthly, primary purpose in verses 42 to 44. So we begin then with people's praise in chapter 4, verses 14 to 22. After resisting all of the devil's temptations, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. That's interesting, right? Jesus wasn't depleted and exhausted by that spiritual battle. He was actually returning now spiritually empowered. And later, in Acts 10.38, Peter will describe how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power so that he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him, it says. The Holy Spirit empowered Jesus' ministry, and pretty soon a report about Jesus went out through all the surrounding country of Galilee, where Jesus taught in their synagogues and was glorified by all. That initial response to Jesus was unanimously positive. He was glorified by all in the region of Galilee. Everyone praised him. But what about in his hometown of Nazareth, where Jesus had been brought up, as we were told in chapters 1 and 2? Well, in your packet of materials on the page for notes, I included just a little map of Galilee. And you can see Nazareth. You'll find it toward the bottom of that map. Back in, I think it was 2010, uh, Sue and I actually had the chance to go to Nazareth there uh, with my mom. Well, Sabbath services uh, in the synagogue would typically include singing, prayer, scripture reading, and then a message on the scripture reading. And Jesus, being a faithful Jew, he did what he always did. He, he went to his hometown synagogue on the Sabbath. And on this Sabbath day, when Jesus stood up to read, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. Jesus unrolled the scroll, and he purposefully found the place where it was written. In Isaiah 61, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me 
to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The temptations, you see, that we studied last week showed us what kind of Messiah Jesus would not be, right? He'd not use his power to serve himself or, or test God or take a shortcut to glory. And this week's passage shows us what kind of a Messiah Jesus would be, right? His mission would include proclaiming good news to the poor and, and liberty to the captives. Those who have been captives to sin can be forgiven and, and released from sin's bondage. Jesus will restore sight to the, the physically blind and the spiritually blind, won't he? Jesus will set at liberty those who are oppressed. He, he's going to cast demons out from them. And Jesus is going to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, possibly referring to the year of Jubilee uh, in Leviticus 25. Jesus then has been sent to minister to unlikely people, people in need. Then Jesus rolled up the scroll of Isaiah, gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. He was done reading, but everyone in the synagogue could not take their eyes off of him. With every eye still fastened on him, Jesus began to say to his hometown Jewish neighbors, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus is making the bold claim to be that messianic servant of the Lord from Isaiah 61. And those promises from seven centuries earlier in Isaiah, he says, are actually being fulfilled that very day in the presence of those who were hearing Jesus. And again, the initial response to Jesus is unanimously positive. All those in Nazareth spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. They almost couldn't believe this was Joseph's son, the, the kid they had known all those years growing up in Nazareth. How has Joseph's son become such a powerful speaker? There seemed to be then a mix of admiration and skepticism, right? And as we'll see throughout Luke's gospel, Jesus knew what they were thinking before they said it. If this hometown boy, this native son, is claiming to be the Messiah, the people of Nazareth, they want to see some confirming signs, like they heard he did in Capernaum, right, 20 miles away. But Jesus tells them the truth. No, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. After all, the prophet Elijah was sent to the widow of Zarephath outside the territory of Israel to bring her right that ever-replenishing flour and oil and actually raise her son from the dead. And Elisha didn't cleanse lepers in Israel, but rather he cleansed the Syrian, Haman. So those two famous prophets are exhibit A and exhibit B of working great miracles away from home and with Gentiles. Uh-oh, <laughs> Jesus' popularity is about to plunge. Right? Until then, they'd all been speaking well of him and marveling at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. But to marvel at someone's words is a far cry 
from taking them to heart. When the people of Nazareth heard Jesus speak of how God sent his prophets to do powerful works blessing Gentiles, there was an episode of church rage, right? Not road rage, but church rage. Jesus was not going to do the requested miracles in Nazareth, and in response, all the people in the synagogue were filled with wrath. Consider, <laughs> they had gathered there to worship God. <laughs> But when God's Son brings God's Word to them, rather than being filled with the Spirit, they are filled with wrath. The Messiah, as a light of revelation to the Gentiles, no way, he's gone too far, and they are furious with Jesus. What had been adoring fans morphed so quickly into an angry mob that that rose up and drove Jesus out of that little town of Nazareth. But expulsion from the town, that wasn't enough. They actually took Jesus to the brow of the hill on which Nazareth was built so they could throw him down the cliff and, and be done with this Gentile lover. Right? And some people today still respond to Jesus and to his words with wrath and hatred. Right? But remember that Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit, chapter 4, verse 1. And he was ministering in the power of the Spirit, chapter 4, verse 14. So in some way, the Luke does not explain to us, Jesus simply passes through the midst of this angry hometown mob, and he goes away. Now this itself, that passing through the midst of the mob, is a kind of a miracle in some ways, but it is not the miracle that the people of Nazareth wanted, right? Neither the devil's temptations nor this human opposition would thwart God's plan for his son. So we move from people's praise and plunging popularity to Jesus's amazing authority in verses 31 to 41. Jesus will display amazing authority through his teaching his exorcisms, and his healings. And it all takes place in Capernaum, which you can find, again, on your map. It's kind of at the northern edge of the Sea of Galilee. You'll see it up there. Matthew 4, 4, 4 verse 13 tells us that Jesus left Nazareth and he went to live in Capernaum. And Mark 2, 1 says that when Jesus returned to Capernaum, it was reported that he was at home. It's Jesus' new home, it seems, his base for his Galilean ministry. And Sue and I also got to visit Capernaum, where, where there are really well-preserved ruins of a Jewish synagogue from the 4th or perhaps 5th century, quite possibly built on the foundation from the very synagogue where Jesus taught. And as Jesus was teaching them in the synagogue on the Sabbath, they were astonished at his teaching. Why? Because Jesus' word possessed authority. People had been astonished earlier, right? A 12-year-old boy Jesus in the temple. And now, just like those initially in Nazareth, the Jews in Capernaum are astonished at Jesus' authoritative teaching. Right. Unlike typical rabbis who simply cited other rabbis' opinions, Jesus' teaching as the very Son of God had inherent authority. 
you have heard it was said, but I say to you. Amazing authority. And not just in his teaching, but also in his exorcisms. Right there in the Capernaum synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon who cried out with a loud voice at the top of his voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. J.C. Ryle notes that the demon's knowledge was unaccompanied by any faith or hope or love. Here is yet another type of response to Jesus, to, to know who he is, the Holy One of God, but not to trust or love or obey him. Jesus rebukes the demon, telling it to be silent and to come out of the man, and the demon complies immediately, having done the man no harm. Earlier, Jesus resisted the devil, right, in the temptations, and now he casts out the the devil's minions, the, the demons. And you see, this man in the synagogue wasn't an isolated case. Verse 41 tells us that in Capernaum, demons came out of many people crying out that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus rebuked them. He he wouldn't allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. And Jesus may not have wanted that title of Christ misunderstood at this early point in his ministry. At any rate, Jesus versus the demons, it's a no contest. With these exorcisms, you see, as it said in Isaiah 61, Jesus was bringing liberty to the captives. He was setting at liberty those who were oppressed by Satan and his demons. Again, the people recognized Jesus' amazing authority, saying to each other, what is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. So the word about Jesus spread, right? Reports spread into the surrounding area. His reputation is preceding him. Amazing authority in his teaching, his exorcisms, and his healings. When Jesus finished his public ministry in the synagogue that day, he shifted to a more private ministry in Simon Peter's house. And many, many archaeologists believe that Simon's house is just about 30 yards south of the synagogue. And again, Sue and I got to visit that too. It's a beautiful site. And we learned then from this that Simon was a married man. He has a mother-in-law. And so it's his wife's mom who was ill with a high fever. I mean, she's burning up and they don't have Advil or Aleve or Tylenol, but they had Jesus who stood over Simon's mother-in-law and rebuked the fever, just as he had rebuked the demons. Interesting. Sure enough, the fever left her, and she immediately rose and began to serve those in the home. (laughs) Completely cured, this dear woman is immediately ready to serve. Completely cured, this woman is immediately ready to serve others. Hmm, something to be learned there. A word got around town, and when the sun was setting, with the Sabbath now officially over, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to Jesus. And he laid his hands on every one of them, 
and healed them. So we notice the breadth of Jesus' healings, any who were sick, with various diseases. We also notice the individual attention given to them. Jesus laid his hands on every one of them. And we notice the 100% cure rate. They were all healed. Yes, the Spirit of the Lord was on Jesus. Amazing authority. But healing wasn't all that Jesus was sent to do. Remember, he was anointed to proclaim good news to the poor, which brings us to his primary purpose. When it was day, apparently on Sunday morning, Jesus departed and he went into a desolate place. But naturally, I mean, after that Sabbath day they had just experienced with him, the people of Capernaum sought him out and, and they came to Jesus in an effort to keep him from leaving them, right? They wanted Jesus to stay with them in Capernaum. But there is no restraining, there is no containing, there is no controlling the Messiah. Jesus said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. Remember, Isaiah had said that God's servant would proclaim good news to the poor, and, and the angel Gabriel had told Mary that of Jesus' kingdom there would be no end, and Simeon had prophesied that Jesus was God's salvation and that God had prepared that in the presence of all peoples. So Jesus couldn't just settle in to a comfortable life of ministry there in Capernaum. I can't just keep it all for you guys here. No, Jesus fulfilled his primary purpose of preaching throughout Judea, perhaps understood here in this broad sense of Palestine. And each person who heard Jesus preach had to respond to him individually. There are many possible responses to Jesus, right? Even trying to put it off with a, a non-response is a response. Consider these four possibilities. Number one, like the people of Nazareth, we can marvel at Jesus until what he says rubs us the wrong way, and then we may try to rid ourselves of him. Right, I like that love and forgiveness stuff, but not the repentance and judgment part. Or, number two, like the demons, we can know and even say true things about Jesus. He's the Holy One of God, the Son of God, the Christ, but still not turn away from our sins or, or put our saving trust in him. Number three, like the people of Capernaum, we can attempt to keep Jesus for ourselves rather than being glad that Jesus wants to reach all people. Right? Jesus is not someone for us to use for our purposes, but someone for us to gladly share. Fourth, and finally, as we'll see actually looking ahead next week to the example of Peter, we can acknowledge our sin, we can fall down before Jesus and then follow him daily as our Savior and Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for putting your spirit upon Jesus, for anointing him to proclaim good news to the poor. And we rejoice that Jesus continues to bring liberty to the captives and oppressed, bring sight to the blind to proclaim your favor 
Just like those in Nazareth, Father, we want to fix our eyes on Jesus, but not just to marvel at his words, but to believe him and, and obey him and follow him. We give you thanks that Jesus has amazing authority over all demons and all disease. And we thank you that in the new heavens and new earth, there's going to be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Thank you, Lord, for your abundant grace that brings us into your kingdom and then prompts us to share the good news with others. We fall before you now in praise through your Son and our Savior, Jesus. Amen.